Pearson-Ravitz story begins with Dr. Stephanie Pearson, a passionate OBGYN at the height of her career. But when a shoulder injury struck during a precipitous delivery, her dreams were shattered, leaving her unable to practice medicine. Determined to make a difference, Dr. Pearson became an advocate for her peers, guiding them through the complex disability process. Alongside insurance expert Scott Ravitz, Dr. Pearson founded Pearson Ravitz, a company determined to approach insurance differently. Together, they set their mission to educate and empower physicians to protect their most valuable asset, their income, and the most important people in their life, their family. Today, Pearson Ravitz serves the medical community in all 50 states. At Pearson Ravitz, they understand the unique concerns of physicians. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness or injury could leave you and your family in a devastating financial situation. But with little planning and guidance, you can prepare for every possibility. Visit PearsonRavitz.com to schedule your consultation with a Pearson Ravitz advisor. Learn how this physician couple navigated their career journeys, opposing views on practicing medicine, among other trials of being a physician couple. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. Welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, we have doctors Tim and May Hindmarsh, hosts of the BS Free MD podcast. They're experienced family practice physicians with nearly 30 years in small town practice, covering a wide range of medical roles. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how they've made their way through their careers, both as physicians, um, as a physician couple, and how that dynamic, what they've learned from that dynamic and what they can teach us. So they've recently moved to Bradenton, Florida, where Tim works in urgent care while May is semi-retired. Their podcast touches on all aspects of health, physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional, and they focus on challenging traditional medical training and are keen to call out harmful practices in medicine. With their background in family practice, hospital medicine, and urgent care, they bring a wealth of experience to their discussions on work-life balance and the four Fs, faith, family, finances, and fun. Their journey includes over 30 years of marriage, migrating from Canada to Oregon and now Florida, making it entirely across the country, where they continue to share their lively and honest insights into healthcare. Dr. Tim and Dr. May, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. We are so excited to be on your show now that you've been on ours. <laughs> Absolutely. This is going to be fun. So let's start with how you two met. Boring story, but there's a little bit of thriller in there. Was it like my wife and I on Match.com? <laughs> yeah, that didn't exist. <laughs> no, we met in med school. So I had a stupid knee sports injury in university. I was playing intramural flag football. Blew up my ACL, a horrible injury from that. Basically, I was a couple of years ahead of Tim in med school, and I took some time off, dropped back, went back to school and to his class, and we just were friends for, man, probably about a year, then became like best friends in school. And then I started to have feelings for him that were more than friendly, and it's kind of a, she cute, stalked me. a cute, funny story. I did stalk him, and I have to tell this story because it is kind of... I don't know. Usually the man does all these, or the man, the, the boyfriend, whatever, does all these funky things, it seems. So what I did was we were in our clinical groups 
Um, I was with four other guys and there was me in this clinical group that would go across the street from the medical school to, it was a kid's school for handicapped kids. We were doing some pediatrics rotations there and we would walk across. Tim had parked his vehicle at this home. That's where you know, he would drive to med school, park his vehicle there in this lady's driveway across the street from the med school all the time. It was a friend of your dad's or patient or something, right? So he parked his car in this one spot. And as we're walking across the street to the children's school, I'm like, oh, there's Tim's car. One day I said, why don't I just leave him in this anonymous note? It was winter. It was cold. And I'm like, let's put a note on his vehicle and let's make up something stupid. And the guys were like, yeah, yeah, it sounds great. Well, they didn't even really pay attention, right? So I put this note on there. And then later on, you know, at lunchtime in the common area um, where we met, Tim's like, someone stuck this note on my car and it's really weird. And they made up this, I can't even remember if it was a poem at the time what I did. Doesn't matter. The, the other guys I was with, they didn't even really think about it. They weren't really in our core group of friends. Well, anyway. We kept going across and I'm like, I kept doing this. They didn't pay attention to me. And I kept putting these little notes on his vehicle. And what did these notes say? Well, they were at first it was just like, oh, I saw it was like, oh, I see you and I watch you every day, but you don't know who I am. That was like the first one. Then the next one is like, I saw you again and I kind of think you're cute and but I'm too shy. So it would say that. And so then what happened was the rotation, the pediatric rotation stopped and we were just doing other ones at the hospital. So I'm like, I got to keep this going. So then I would put some in his locker. And then it got elaborate where I actually started to write these long poems, kind of giving away information about myself so he could clues, but stuff that he didn't know a whole lot about me. So we'd been friends for a year, but it would be things about my past that I had interests in or hobbies or things I liked. And so he would, every now and then these would pop up and he'd go, I got another note. And we'd all sit together at lunchtime. Then there were 60 of us in our med school class, right? And we weren't friends with all of them, say 20 of us would sit around and they started like trying, everyone's trying to figure out who's stalking him and what the clues were. And at one point, you know, big guys thought that it was another guy stalking Tim. (laughs) Well, naturally. Anyway, I'm fully committed to this because I was really giving away a lot of clues and I liked them. And so what happened was I was trying to play it out until Valentine's Day and then I was going to tell him it was me. So this is in February, obviously. Well. It was the week before, I believe. And we went, he's like, hey, there's this concert. You want to go with me with some friends and I'll come and pick you up. And we're like, oh, yeah, great. So we we go. And after the concert, he gives me a ride back to my apartment. And he's like, I think I figured out who's stalking me. You know, at this point, we're I'm thinking, oh, he just still thinks of me as his rock climbing buddy and best from from school. And, you know, we would talk after school, like for an hour every day. And I'm like, he doesn't know it's me and he doesn't like me. But he figured it out. He's like, I think it's you. And I'm like, is that a bad thing? Or is it a good well, thing? A, I mean, it's a pretty significant risk. May, that's so funny the way you're talking about it. Because the way that you talk about it, I feel like it's bringing you back to like med school where you're like, you know, 22 and like playing coy with this guy. And So anyway, it's like, yeah, it's me. I really like you. And then we made out. And then we went to get out of his vehicle and I slid on the ice and slid under his giant jacked up blazer. Anyway, so that was the beginning of a beautiful, long, successful relationship. So we then, man, it was around the 9th of February. I didn't make it till Valentine's. We dated for another year. And then by the time we got towards the end of fourth year and that we're having to go into the, the match, you know, as far as residency, I basically, 
again had to say, look, it, the match is coming up. We both know that we're going to do family practice, but we're not going to end up in the same place if we don't plan this strategically. So do are we going to have a long distance relationship that's probably not going to work? And that's the end of the relationship. Or are we serious? Do we think we're going to get married? Because we're not going to live together because we just not what we believed. So we're going to enter this. We're going to do the couple's match. Then let's just, are we going to get engaged? That's basically what I'm like. Are you going to, are you going to propose? Because I'm like, let's get on with it or get on with it. And he's like, oh, anyway. So basically we graduated mid school Wednesday or Thursday, got married on a Sunday, did a three week honeymoon to the Caribbean and went on to Edmonton, Alberta. And we did our residency and family practice there, which was hell and a whole other story for various reasons. I had my sister move in with us after six months of being married. And I was still struggling from a lifelong eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, and depression, and not really sure what I wanted to do with my life. I was ready to go sell perfume at the Macy's counter. And then you know, we're not seeing each other because in our internship year, we were in different call groups. And so we, every, you know, every third night, we were up the whole 36 hours. There was no going home at noon like the, you get to now. And so we, we would pass each other in the hospital and someone would be in bed at home. And it was a struggle. Yeah, that was tough. And uh, But it kind of makes you or breaks you, you know, like from our perspective, like we're going to do whatever it took to be successful. And so, it, it you know, th- that having that be baptism by fire really early, I think, in a lot of respects, really made the relationship because there was no option but to figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, to be totally transparent and honest, if it wasn't for the faith that we both shared and believed, I mean, we probably would have pulled the plug and said, I'm out. I can't do this. This is t- too much. Like you, me here, I'm pointing to me, are crazy bitch and figured out, you know, what you want out of life, but what's going on. But we both made a promise and a commitment before God that we believed and honored. And it was like, eh, I'm it. I made a, a promise. I got to make this work. How are we going to make this work? And it's just life. And man, it was just, it was a tough time. But- uh, Boy, has it been rewarding. Oh, yeah. I we, mean, like the, the, the fruit of that has just been unbelievable. I mean, we worked together most of our career. Really? So you guys would work in the same places. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about your career journey. So we- which was actually super fun. So in 1994, we worked for a short period of time, about two months in an urgent care in Canada that actually my dad owned the urgent care. It was really fun. So we, we got to do shifts together. We got to learn me- a lot of medicine together. Like all of a sudden you're at the sharp end of the rope to use a climbing analogy. And that was really, really fun. And well, that's really nice that you had both each other to lean on because I know, you know, when I was first starting out, one of my best friends from medical school, ENT also in my practice and in different offices, but like we'd see something challenging. We would run it by when we actually used to operate together. Um, so having someone like that to be able to like learn and grow, oh, let me, you know, bounce this idea off you. Let me, I saw this thing and, you know, what do you think about that? That's, that's great. Yeah. That was short lived. You can continue right. to and elaborate. Then, and then that we, was about six months. You know, then it, there was some weird political stuff that was going on in Canada where you could only practice in a province that you trained in they were restricting billing numbers for doctors like if you can possibly imagine that they were trying to limit the number of doctors like when you look at you know how hard it is where we are now yeah, yeah. where we are i mean it's just this crazy that's the way it was and so you know i'd been skiing and windsurfing a ton i used to live in whistler 
And I was windsurfing a lot. And I was like, well, we got to call. Like a dry suit? Is it freezing there? No, I'd I'd go to the gorge. And by the end of May, the ice was off all the lakes and you could just wear a wetsuit. (laughs) It's cold. I mean, it's nothing like I endure now, like in the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, my gosh. It's it's less than 80. Oh, the horror. But it's, it, you know, so it's interesting. So we got a call from a recruiter and I said, if I can live within two, two hours of the Columbia Gorge and two hours of mountains, we'll come take a look. So it was 100% geographically based. Plus, we wanted to do rural family practice. We wanted to do everything. And so we found this place. It was actually a really cool group. Uh, great physicians, um, for the most part, that were a, like able to mentor, at least me, which was super helpful. Because I was delivering babies, we were doing you know death investigations to help with the coroner stuff. We worked in the ICU. We did everything except the ER. So it was you know small town country doctor stuff, and it was awesome because you learned medicine really well. You knew who was sick and who wasn't sick, and that I mean that sounds really dumb, but that is no. I feel like that's huge with what we do as physicians, like. You know, so something that separates us from non-physicians. And remember, this is like my, my, this audience is a, is a physician audience. Like we, we know what's sick and what isn't. And I feel like that's a huge part of our residency training is just like, what, when do you need to worry? What's a red flag? And you do, you, yeah, you develop this like instinct for when to worry and when not. And certainly nobody bats a thousand and there will be times where you might, you know, need to be a little more careful with the imaging and whatever, but yeah. I think that's a huge part of who we are as people. Yeah, it, it's, you know, and then I think of, you know, just the last few years, especially in, in doing the small town urgent care, you know, corporatized model, but, you know, the stuff that we'd see and, you know, people are like, oh, well, you don't order any tests and, you know, and I go, yeah, because most of these people aren't sick. It's like, if I'm worried, you should be scared shitless. You know, like I saw this kid, I saw this kid come in and the mother was just very laissez-faire. Like usually parents are kind of amping up the symptoms of the, and I took, I walked in, I looked at the kid. I said, go to the ER. You know, your child has a fever. She is almost unconscious. Well, really? Well, she hasn't been sick that long. I said, go now. Like I'm calling an ambulance. So she gets over to the, just across the street. She gets to the ER and I called over there and I said, what was going on? And she, then this kid's white count was like 0.7 or something. I mean, she had acute leukemia with a fever. So she had a infection that, you know, who knows where it was. So it's a great story. So then I was at a meeting and I saw the ER doctor and I said, you know what happened to that kid? And he's like, well, you know, we sent her to the big city, to the major hospital. And I don't know, I didn't hear anything bad. And I said, I can't imagine that she survived. Just even the trip alone would have been enough. You know, life goes on and I'm back doing another shift in the urgent care a year later. And I opened the door and it's that kid. And I'm like, what's going on? Oh, she's doing great. She's just on a oral chemo now. She's almost done all everything, you know, and she had like a cold or something, you know, simple. And I was like, you know, thank you so much for coming back here because that was. Oh, that's amazing. That's like one of those moments that like makes our job. Exactly. And, you know, so we had an entire career of this, like over and over, like all these and these connections with patients. And then I, I finished my career in Oregon in a small startup private practice. And I had all these patients coming back and it's like, you know, you delivered my son or you delivered my grandson and you saved his life. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't even remember who you all. So it was really, really good. Yeah, that happens to me sometimes too. They'll be like, I'll be like, oh, hi, it, it's nice to meet you because I can see it's a new patient with a new chart. And they'll be like, you took my son's tonsils out last week. 
Like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. Sorry. Okay, usually not that Don't dramatic, that? but 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 I've done <laughs> unfortunately that. I can't remember everybody. So th- it sounds like with your careers, you guys have always worked together, right? No, no, not not, not, not right really. to, not right together. We always work. This is the first time where we have not worked for the same organization at the same time. And then there was lots of times where we would work actually side by side, which was never an issue. People would go, how do you do that? And I go, well, it's, I mean, we're equals. We and, preferred it. I mean. But uh, we would disagree on medical stuff all the time. Uh-huh. Yes. Which is, I, you know, that, that in and of itself might be an interesting conversation. Yeah. No. So let's talk, let's talk about that. Let's talk about when you don't agree on something, but it's, let's keep it out of the family. You know, like, not like that it's. One of you. Or like when our kid had ear infections all the time and I was freaking out and he's like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. But like what happens? What, how do you come to an agreement? How do you choose who to defer to? I mean, now, so are you talking about if it's like a patient thing, a case we're discussing? Well, I think when it's a patient, right? Actually, sorry, I'm going to change my question because then it doesn't make any sense. If it's a patient, you defer to whichever one of you it is. Right. Whoever's patient it is. Yeah. Like if we're asking each other first. So it's like if I have a case and I'm like, eh, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I go wander down the hall to ask him or some other colleague, colleagues, you know, then, yeah, I'm going to take his advice like I would any other colleague. I mean, I'm asking. So I want his input. Um, I'll consider it. Obviously, not always going to agree. And so I would say, hey, yeah, I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, you're right. Like it would. I will definitely think about it in terms of, you know, presenting this information myself and then not always necessarily do what he said. But if, there, if we totally don't disagree on something, you know, something's happening, say another, someone else, a student's in the room or another colleague come up and ask and we're both there. And I'm like, ah, we both disagree. We, I don't know. I think we both stand our ground, present our case. We sometimes laugh at each other, the fact that we're disagreeing. And then the other person, I'm sadly, is like laughing, going, well, I'm confused because you guys are clearly <laughs> presenting two different points of view. Yeah, but I uh, mean- But that, leave it to them, so- Well, that's medicine <laughs> to a certain degree. And I mean, I I tend to be more on the nihilistic side with regards to treatment. I really don't order a lot of tests. If you really aren't fairly convinced that the test is really going to alter therapy, then why are you doing it? All it's going to do is confuse you. That's my philosophy from a medical perspective. May tends to order a bit more stuff than me, not a lot. I guess, and I go, I'm a woman. Maybe that's why I kind of go more on gut intuition. It's like, nah, I don't know. I just don't think something's right. And he'd be like, nah, you know, it's kind of more black and white. Yeah, something doesn't smell right. And yeah, I want to go down that rabbit hole to make sure that I'm not, I'm not missing something. But what, so what happens, have you changed each other's minds about anything? Like, has one of you ever been dug in about something like post-nasal drip? No, but about about something and you're like, and you manage to change the other one's mind? Well, it's not really a specific thing that comes to mind, but I know that as far as I would use the term like alternative, more non-traditional healthcare practices. So using alternative things such as massage, chiropractic therapy, holistic practices, along with just our traditional modalities. I was way more on board with that early on in my career than Tim was. He was kind of like, eh, it's just voodoo medicine. You know, someone's- Because some of it is. Some of it is. But I'd be like, yeah, but it seems to work. It's not harmful. I think there's a real good evidence for that kind of support. And so over time now, as we learn more and get more jaded with some of the- Tim's, I think, really become a lot more open to all these other 
what's the word I'm looking for? Well, you know, complementary. It gets a new name every week. Yeah, you know, it's integrative, integrative medicine, practices, then it's functional com- medicine. Complementary practices. And it is BS free MD. So I, we try to call BS on ourselves, but we also try to challenge a lot of our former beliefs. And we think that a lot of medicine's been bought and paid for with big pharma and giant insurance companies and, you know, the way the government gets involved and all that. But, you know, that's a separate rabbit hole. But like, for instance, we were on a bus coming back from a NASCAR race in Vegas. And, you know, we're just chit-chatting with people because, you know, it takes a while to get back into back to the strip. And this guy, they somehow finds out he's from Ontario, Canada, and finds out that I'm a doctor. And then he asked me, what do you think of natural paths? And I told him exactly what I think. I said, I think they're really good at treating people that aren't sick. And I actually still kind of believe that. I, I believe that there's some great natural paths. I think they have tons to offer that allopathic medicine doesn't. But generally, if you're really sick, you should probably see an allopathic doctor. We're really good at treating sick people. We're not really great at optimizing health. Personally, I don't think you needed to qualify it. <laughs> I think you need you could have ended with they're good at treating people who aren't sick. And I do plan on having an episode on naturopathy at some point because I think their entire way of practicing medicine is based on a logical fallacy. I, I think the appeal to nature fallacy is a logical fallacy. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's better. And so to build a structure of healthcare around a logical fallacy is. But just because it's pharma doesn't mean it's better either. Or just because it's made in a lab doesn't mean it's. There's conflict of interest, certainly. And it's hard to untangle a lot of that. And so you can look through to that through the lens of skepticism, certainly because of the conflict of interest. But like to think that natural is better is. Again, it's just a lot. It's a logical fallacy. But but that's, you know, we're on the show to discuss your relationship and how you've managed to have a really successful marriage. (laughs) No, but it was funny because I this guy lost his ever loving mind. I mean, so I've come along, you know, as far as changing your mind, I've come a long ways. I think that these I think, you know, ancient wisdom has lots to offer because if it was ancient bullshit, we wouldn't know about it because people would have forgotten it or they would have thrown all the virgins into the volcano. So I, th- I think that there's, you know, nuanced in that. And May and I have kind of gone back and forth on these things forever. Yeah. And I think it, back to that point, you know, at one point. I wanted yeah, to make a T-shirt that said death is natural. <laughs> you would, But he would be just kind of making fun of them, their practice, to the point where, I mean, he's seen a naturopathic physician before. And it got to the point where I'm like, man, these guys seem to be doing much better with hormone replacement therapy, bioidentical, non type of stuff, managing HRT. Why is that? Maybe we could learn something from them. This is years ago. And Tim's like, it does seem that we've kind of done this the wrong way. So I have an episode on homeopathy and I'm planning on covering a lot of this stuff in future episodes. I'd prefer not to go down these yeah, rabbit right. holes. Yeah, but, and but so Yeah, but one one billionth of a whatever. I mean, like some of this is just like, again, I guess what's driven me crazy, especially in the last three years, is just the lack of common sense in all areas of life. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> okay, so you've come around on, so May is maybe a little more skeptical about some of this stuff. And Tim has kind of softened on being as skeptical as he was. So that's one way you've kind of influenced influence each other. Is there anything that surprised you about being married to a physician? Yeah, I think the advantage is you come home from work and they understand what you go through because that's really hard to transfer. It's like, you know, look, I just, I had to get up at 4.30 this morning to go in and watch a three-week-old baby that I delivered die of an acute leukemia. 
she understands that. How do you translate that to, to somebody else? The downside, I think, is when you get into business, the business side of medicine and things are not going as well because now it's been corporatized. That used to be a small business where a bunch of doctors owned a, you know, a business and contracted with the hospital. And then it becomes the blue blazers are controlling you. And now your concerns aren't, you know, I had a hard day at work because it's a really challenging job. It's, it's, I had a hard day at work because I can't stand the administration. There are a bunch of useless dicks. We would spin each other up and it was super unhealthy. You know, because then I would ah, bitch and she would bitch, and then it, it would just be like, okay. you know, and that was super together. And yeah. May actually figured that out sooner than I did. And there was a point I remember we were going for a walk together, and she goes, "You can bitch all you want, but not to me, because you either got to change your life, you got to get a different job, you got to move out of whatever." But I'm done. Like I am completely done listening to this because I've heard every single version of it, every way you can say it. How do you then mm-hmm. avoid talking about How medicine all it? the time? That's not talking about medicine. That's complaining about about like the work environment. You know, you get home, you have an interesting case, you have a difficult case, you have another case of, you know, something mundane that you're just tired of seeing all the time. Like, how does it conversations not uh, always just funnel back uh, to that? You know, if you ask our kids, they probably heard way too many gross stories at the dinner table than they cared to. There's, I mean, I remember a lot of times our son would get up and walk away. He's like, I'm out. This is, I told you to shut up. and You guys are still going, but. We, it got to the point where we had to be very conscious about it and say, okay, we're done. Like, no more talking about medicine tonight. Just let's talk about like the football game that's on or where we're going to go for vacation or let's talk about the movie or, but no more work talk. And it would happen on even small dates. I remember we would be going out to dinner together and then it all gets sucked back into like the work and rubbing each other up. So we just have to go, okay, pause. No more. So you have to be very deliberate about setting up those boundaries. I mean, I think it's great. There's, it's a double-edged sword, right? You've got, like Tim said, that support, supportive person that, I mean, we did the same field of medicine. And so we totally understood all of that. And that, that's a huge thing to be able to support that person when there's struggles. But there's also the downside is how do you turn it off? Because you have to. Because you have to have other interests together. And so sometimes I would worry, it's like, is this all there is? Is just medicine and nothing else? And so, yeah, you have to have those boundaries. Has there been a, a point in your careers where one person needed to kind of defer to the other person's desire for career advancement? At the start, Tim, you needed to be near windsurfing and skiing. So clearly that was a, a priority and may, it's hard to argue with that, right? Okay, that sounds awesome. I mean, that might not have been your priority. So like, how do you navigate, you know, if someone wants to be med- maybe a medical director or someone has their geographic um, priorities that maybe the other one doesn't share? Like, how do you navigate well, those challenges? And I mean, I think when you look at your partner as an equal, then it, it completely alters the dynamic. And so May wanted a house in the woods and I wanted to be close to these recreational things. And so we were able to do both. And we did that for almost 30 years. And when we moved here, I was pretty, I was like, I don't know. I mean, it's really flat. I like mountains and there's not a flatter place in the United States than Florida. She's like, I'm done with winter. I'm done with, you know, nine months of clouds. It's really depressing. It's terrible for my, you know, joints. And I said, okay, well, it's your turn. And then of course. As far as career though, yeah, that's but, an easier one for us to kind of. Yeah, because career was never really a super high priority for May. Like that was just never an issue. And right from the get-go, I worked part-time. 
So I would be three days a week. And then Tim was full-time OB practice, but I still did hospital and ER and house calls and all that stuff. But when it came to having, making the, you know, the decision to have children, whenever something happened, you know, the kids got sick or I had to stay home with them. I'm like, yeah, I want to be the one that's home that can be there for the kids. Your practice, your full-time, your practice is busy. It makes sense. I'll just call in and have another partner see my patients if I can't make it in because of a family thing. And so for me, that part, it it worked out because I didn't have these aspirations for a full-time advancing career. He loved being on all the committees and being on the board of directors. I was like, mm, I would rather be a mom. So that to me, and then when I was a mom, I was like, get me out of here. I want to just go to work because being a mom is hard work. <laughs> and so I, I felt like I was this bipolar mom because I said when I was at home, I wanted to be at work because I felt guilty about my patients and wanted to be there. And when I was at work, I missed my kids. And then they're like, why aren't you home like the other moms are? And Because we were in small town. So I was blessed because I got to do both and model that for our kids. But it so that worked out well. But there are other. Here's a really important point. It worked out well. But during that time, it didn't feel like it was going to no. work out well necessarily. And I think that's a really important thing to understand because this idea of work-life life balance is largely horseshit. Yeah. Because when you're building a practice and you're young, there's a commitment you have to have to your patients and the business of medicine that will take you away from your family because this is the exact same time in life where you have younger kids. I think we balanced it and I think the evidence is in you know, our, our kids are awesome. They're grown up now. We, they, we all like each other. I mean, you know, yay. I think we've won. I think we won that prize. But when you're going through that, it's unbelievably unbalanced yeah. because it's an unbalanced time of life. Yeah. And it always felt like, especially from my point of view as a woman, you know, the, from, I'm from that era where it's like, you can have it all. You can do it all. You can be a successful career woman and climb the corporate or whatever ladder and have the kids and the successful relationship and be an athlete. And you can't. You can't. can't. I would say you're an elastic band that will snap because you can't pull in all directions. So something's got to give. And that took me a long time to learn. I think that's, you know, always still I love to share with everybody who, you know, same with the in the relationship. It's give and take. And you can't, sometimes someone's got to give a little bit more for the other partner, the spouse. If you're both trying to climb some successful career path and that's pulling you in opposite directions, you ha- then really well, have and to someone, have a someone has to do that sometimes for a season. Yeah. Like there's a period in life where that's what drives me absolutely crazy about this fire movement. It's like, I'm going to work super hard in an ER. I'm going to make a gajillion dollars a year. I'm not going to buy a house for my kids until I get to be with them all the time. And I'm like, well, what kind of, what kind of BS world is that? Like, what are you teaching your kids that the only way you can raise it? When does it happen? Like, by the time you've reached fire, they don't want to hang out with you anymore. They're already older. Yeah, that's the, yes. So I actually had, I had Jordan Grummet on the show, who's like one of the godfathers of the fire movement. He's a former palliative care doctor um, who wrote, who wrote a book about it. Actually, his knowledge of financial things and his experience with palliative care patients with like the dying. And he basically convinced me to not do the fire movement because it's very high risk. Because if something happens to your health, 
And then if you get sick and you die, now you've spent all of your time working and none of your time enjoying it. It's the highest risk thing to do, as opposed to kind of the slower way of doing it, where you, you know, enjoy your life more and don't try and make a ton of money and kind of, you know, have a more long, have a longer, more sustainable career. So I asked him like, wait, you're like the king of the fire movement here. He's like, yeah, because I reached fire and I got to tell you, it's pretty awesome not having to work. So, you know, it's hard to be in this position and not, but it was, it was more of a product of his frugality and very early on than having worked, you know, a ton and not seen his family. But yeah, this, the fire movement is, I, I can't wrap my head around it and there's no way I'd be able to do it. it. It just, I love hanging out with my kids and I want everything to do with them right now. And I am not doing things in my career that I otherwise would. Why? Because I just, I love it. I love, well, I love being a dad. I love being with my family. Be. But you should still love your career enough that you want to do it for 30 years. Like that's the other side of that coin is like you pick the job that you only want to do for 10 years. Like that must be a sucky ass job. <laughs> Come on, man. Like, but it could be that you just work so hard so early that you burn yourself out and it's only going to last for 10 years. Like, you know, like I have aspirations no, in my I career, think, but I don't I need to do them super, now. Super, super healthy. Like when I, th when I look back and May was unbelievably gracious to me because I worked four days super hard. We did tons of call and then, I, but I had Fridays off and that was my day. So like literally I would, I would get up and I would go water skiing at our private lake and then I'd go to the drop zone and I'd get five skydives and I might throw some riding on our motocross track in there at the same time. And then I'd come home and I'd feel amazing just when the kids got home from school. I mean, I did that over and over and over and it was really awesome. And that was kind of the work-life balance. It's like, it doesn't sound yeah. awesome the way you said it. It sounds exactly. pretty boring. And it was just like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it was so like, and then, you know, the rest of the weekend we do family stuff because the kids were not in school and it was so now, honestly, like at this time of my life, it's different. I actually don't, I mean, the job I have now is actually a really good job and, you know, hopefully the podcast grows and we, you know, we can do more of that. But it, now it's almost like I'm set of May. It's like, what do you need? Because I can find a hobby anywhere. I started kiteboarding. This is like one of the greatest places in the entire country to kiteboard. It's like, what do you want to do? She's going to teach me how to play tennis. I was absolutely 100% against it. I don't, I do things that attach to my feet. My entire life is about <laughs> center of gravity. It's not about smacking stuff with my hands, but it's like, if that's what you want, I've learned to suck at things and enjoy it. So I'll suck at a new sport. I think that's the key to it. You know, the, the whole idea behind this episode was how do you make a physician marriage work with career trajectories that might have different paths and, you know, all the time or the time that we don't have. And I think the answer is the mutual respect that you have for each other. Like you, you clearly there's so much love and respect that you're able to defer to each other in such a loving way that it's like, well, I've seen everything that you've done for me. Now it's time for my, me to defer for you. I see what you want to do with your career. Okay. You go and do it because it's clearly less important to me. And so that it's not born of argument and negotiation, but rather giving. And I, I think that's beautiful. And yeah, I, I think, think that's how you've made it work. The theme has really been that the relationship itself was bigger than either partner. So the entity that the marriage became, you know, the corporation, shall we say, is bigger than either partner. And I think that that, I mean, we didn't necessarily- It doesn't sound sexy and it would drive me nuts at times. Yeah, but, but that's why it works. <laughs> but that's why it works. And, you know, because relationships are made in the non-sexy part. 
it's, you know, even choosing a spouse, like you got to pick the stuff that's like the qualities that are really important to you, especially if you're going to have a family, you know, if one person is Jewish and one person's Muslim, it might not work. It might, but it might not. I mean, it, depending on how those important those things are, if one person is super into fitness and another person is absolutely not, those are like practical things that people may not think about, but they're super duper important when you're living with some, you know, if there's one thing I'd leave the listeners with is the relationship has to be bigger than either partner. Amazing. Amazing. So where do people find BS Free MD? Where do we find y'all so online and where do we find the wonderful podcast? Wonderful website, bsfreemd.com. Our podcast is, you know, BS Free MD, and it's on all the big platforms, Apple, Spotify, and everything else. We have links uh, to social media on Facebook and Instagram, or uh, our videos are on Rumble. And Tim posts some things on X sometimes, and we do have a YouTube channel that sometimes things get pulled down because they don't like the controversial topics, but that's where they can find us. We respond to listener questions and email all the time so they can find our email on our website and reach out to us. We love answering questions and interacting with- We love answering our... most questions. Yeah, not medical questions, but they- <laughs> Yeah, we're not practicing on... medicine. Yes, yeah, exactly. On the act or on the and Twitters. Will, yeah, but check us out there. Tim and May Hindmarsh, thank you so much for your time. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. And now a final word from our sponsor. At Pearson Rabbits, they understand that life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness, injury, or catastrophic event could put you and your family in a devastating financial situation. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Rabbits builds human connections before they create quotes. Visit PearsonRabbits.com today and embark on a journey of safeguarding your future. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you. This is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice, or financial advice, or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.